Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To have that yin and yang, you need something dark and, and dreary and scary and to re- unleash, you know. So Wilhaven is our release. It's our it's our deep, darkest, darkest fears and our deepest fears and stuff we hate about the world and stuff we don't like about ourselves. And it just, it just is really like the world is ending kind of vibe what we put out into our music, you know?
Welcome to the Dreams of Consciousness podcast. If you'd be so kind, would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, this is Jeff from the band Willhaven. And Jeff, how would you describe the music of Willhaven? Uh, that's a great question. Whew. I'd say we're heavy, somewhat metal, somewhat shoegaze, uh, atmospheric. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. I now I've I've read reviews about our band recently, and they don't know how to categorize categories either. So it's hard for me to say. I don't think we have a specific genre or sound we're going for. We base our music off emotion, and we want to move people. And it seems to be kind of metal and heavy music's always been the form of music that's always moved me in a certain way. And when we play live, it you know moves the audience. So and it gets your point across. So. We just try to create emotion out of just noise, basically. And, and so it's a mixture of everything, kind of. Well, would it be fair to say that you guys emerged from the hardcore scene? Yeah, that was, it, it's been a, a bunch of different influences, but we did get piped into the hardcore scene. We, when we first started playing, you know, I grew up with the guys in the band Far and the band Deftones. So those were like my main best friends. And it was the bands I was kind of surrounded by. But when Will Haven started doing shows and stuff, we got kind of got put into the hardcore scene. So we were playing with Earth Crisis and Snapcase and Strife and bands like that, which we kind of didn't fit into either because we were more kind of extreme noise as those bands were more kind of riff oriented. But we ended up becoming really good friends with all those bands. So we'd play with them every time they came to town and, you know, but it, we didn't really get the hardcore following that those bands did. But then we got signed to Revelation Records, which is a hardcore, semi-hardcore label. And so that yeah, our, our roots are definitely hardcore, but I don't think we were set out to be a hardcore band. We just kind of were in that scene for a while. Right. I mean, it's interesting. Willhaven has been around for almost 30 years at this point. And so you you predate a lot of the a lot of the labels that get attached to this kind of music. But when you speak about, you know, the heavy parts, the atmospheric parts, the slow doomy elements, you know, I would say like within 10 years of your first album, a lot of bands started gravitating towards that sound. And there was already made label for those bands, mm-hmm. which was post-metal. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, like once, and you know, at, at the time, you know, as you said, you guys were, you know, kind of lumped in with like the snap cases and the earth crises and you didn't necessarily fit into that scene. And I don't know if there was necessarily a scene that you would have fit into back then, you know, 95, 96, 97, you know, I can think of a few bands that were doing something sort of similar, like kiss it goodbye or breach or bloodlet, mm-hmm. but there wasn't, it wasn't like there was this, like this ready-made you know, it wasn't like there was a scene of bands that like a label or a promoter or, you know, fans could gravitate towards and say, oh, these bands are all similar to each other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I think when, you know, I grew up listening to like, when I started Willhaven, I was already listening to Earth Crisis and bands like that. So when I started Willhaven, I didn't want to sound like those bands because, I mean, there was only one Earth Crisis and I didn't want to be another Earth Crisis. I didn't, Snapcase were just amazing musicians, so I wasn't that good a musician anyway to be a Snapcase. I think Bloodlet was like one of my big influences. I definitely wanted a riff-oriented band like Bloodlet, but but a lot of those other bands didn't really have a huge influence on me. I was more in, in the Neurosis kind of side. Yeah, yeah. That was a band that intrigued me the most. Like I love their punk attitude and their just dark mysterious sound and they were just 
they were the real deal. They still are, you know, the real deal. So that was kind of what I was more leaning towards. Like we weren't political at all. You know, we weren't vegan. We weren't anything like that. We were straight edge, but we didn't, but we didn't claim it like those other bands did at the time. So Neurosis was the more band I was leaning more towards. That's why our sound was a little different than the hardcore bands, even though we took a lot of influence from hardcore. I was more into the, the kind of the East Bay punk, like neurosis kind of stuff when I started writing Willhaven songs. I mean, were you familiar with bands that were closer to you uh, geographically, like Dystopia or Mind Rot or anything like that? Uh, I heard Mind Rot. I, I'm not, not really. Like I said, we didn't, we got piped into the LA scene really quickly. I mean, we played. We played Sacramento quite a bit around here, but then we were right off to the Showcase Theater in Corona. That was like our main club in, in, in LA. And we played the Whiskey and, you know, played Troubadour a couple of times, but the Corona Showcase Theater was like our mainstay. So we were playing there just as much as we were playing at home. So that's when, you know, the Showcase Theater was the the mecca for hardcore punk shows. And we actually played with the Bench Sevenfold there when they were like starting out. So like... It was one of those clubs where we just kept playing over and over again. And, and that was just kind of the scene was the, the hardcore L.A. like scene. So we didn't really know a lot of the bands around here. We were kind of more into the bands down there, it seemed like. You touched on this a little bit. You mentioned that you guys were all friends growing up uh, and that you didn't necessarily want to, want to sound like any of the bands that you were listening to. I mean, was there anything specific that you guys set out to accomplish when you first got together? Or did you, did you just want to jam and have fun? Yeah, when uh, I was in a band with before Willhaven called Sock, and it was with Sean Lopez from Far, who's now in Crosses, and Grady sang, and then we had my friend Adam playing bass, and then we played a little bit, but we we got you know we kind of disbanded after Far got signed. So I just wanted to start another band with some buddies and just have fun because I thought maybe I would go roadie for Far or Deftones or somebody, you know, like that. So being in a being in a band was seemed to be fun, but I didn't take it seriously at the time. I just wanted to jam. So actually when Willhaven started, I actually played drums in sock. And then when sock broke up, I sold my drum set and bought a guitar and I started writing songs and, but I didn't have a band. And then I got Grady to join Willhaven. And then I got my friend, Mike, who I've known since seventh grade to buy a bass and, and play. And, and he never played bass before. And then I had my friend Wayne who played bass in another band I was like, I need a drummer. Just come play drums. I know you can't really play. Just, I just want to jam. So, so Willhaven was very organic. Like when we went into Willhaven, none of us besides Grady had any experience playing our instrument. So that's, I think that's a real reason. Grady, Grady being, Grady being the screamer, right? <laughs> yeah. So Grady was, was in sock. So he already, already screamed or fronted a band already, but I never played guitar in a band. Mike never played bass in a band and Wayne, Wayne never played drums in a band. So when we even started, this is a whole new experience for all of us. And I think that's why it would start out as just a fun friend thing, because we didn't think we would create anything that was worthy. We were just going to have fun and just play. And then we just kind of started developing a little bit of sound and learning our instruments and just learning how to write songs. And, and I think that's probably one of the big reasons we sound the way we do is because we never had a distinct sound. We didn't know how to play our instruments. We were making up chords. We were making up notes on our own, like, we didn't have any schooling or any direction. You know, we were just just making noise. So I think that's why El Diablo sounds the way it does. It's like, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. We were just making noise. And that's exactly what that record is. Just, it's noise, you know. But I'm, I'm still amazed that we, we created something like that. But yeah, it was just starting out to be a fun thing, really. I mean, this is something I want to talk about a little bit later. If, if we have time, I'd, I'd, li I'd like to speak about 
writing and recording El Diablo a little bit. Sure. But, you know, when I think of songs like Foreign Film, you know, at the time, like I said, I, I didn't really have like a context for, for, you know, what you guys were doing. Like I couldn't say, you know, I, I don't think I, I heard or read the term post-rock until like the mid-2000s. You know, I definitely didn't see the, the term post-metal. Or, or shoegaze or anything like that and you know all the, you know and so those kind of elements on like foreign film and some of the other songs on um el diablo it was kind of like whoa where are these guys coming from do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah i think we said the same thing i think when we <laughs> when we wrote the songs we're like hey, these are cool and then it didn't hit me until we finished the record and i heard it in, in its entirety especially when uh, stick up kid came on i'm like whoa we actually rec- we created something really cool here and it's different and it's it's kind of out of the genre that we grew up in and even our friends that we were close with it wasn't didn't sound like any of their bands so i was really proud of what we did and it was just one of those things where it just magically kind of just happened you know we were in the studio creating stuff just having fun trying to add different different sounds different chords you know and yeah it was a shock i think it was a shock to a lot of people when that then they came out because i don't think any especially our best friends they didn't expect us to write something like that so they were kind of floored like well you you idiots made this. <laughs> it was a, that's kind of how it was, but then the press didn't know what to do with it. You know, like, I don't, this is this band from Sacramento, they're noise metal. Like they didn't know what to call us, but it was cool. It's, it's definitely, I'm, I'm happy and proud of that record for what it, what it was. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it, it's especially now that I'm on that side of the fence where, you know, I get a lot of people pitching stuff to me and, you know, everyone's always looking for the elevator pitch. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's Slayer meets Deftones or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when you have a band like Will Haven, which, you know, touches on so many different things, it's hard to sum that up in like five to six words. I'm curious, who, who was your audience at the time? I mean, mm-hmm. you were emerging from, from the hardcore scene, but I remember early on, like a lot of metal magazines really gravitated toward, towards what you were doing. Yeah, I, we've always been, I think we still are in a way, the, the musicians band band, you know, like musicians and, and even, you know, people that music is their job or industry, they, they get Willhaven, you know, they understand what's going, maybe because we're a little different than what they get barrage with every single day. So when Willhaven comes in, they get a really record like, Oh, this is a little refreshing than what I usually get, you know? So, so we've always had a very good repertoire in the, the musician world and the, in the, in the magazine world, but fan wise, it's, it's been tough, you know, especially in the early, early days playing those hardcore shows. No one really liked us, you know, cause <laughs> you know, we were playing with earth crisis. We played with earth crisis a lot and you know, they have firestorm, which is like probably one of the biggest nineties hardcore songs, you know, and everybody's singing firestorm, you know, and we come out and it's just a wall of noise. We don't have any catchy phrases or courses or <laughs> so kids didn't, that wasn't the thing back then. So a lot of the hardcore fans didn't get us. They, they, I mean, they tolerated us, you know, but <laughs> we didn't pick up, we didn't get the same like love that those bands did, which is understandable. We were different at the time, but it didn't really hit until we got on tour of Deftones in 97. That's when I really saw like, Oh, okay. Fans actually dig us. They like us, you know, which was weird because that was more the, I hate to say it, but more the new metal crowd ish, you know, at that time, 97 yeah yeah so they gravitated to us way more than the hardcore scene did so even though i have a lot of love for the hardcore scene they they definitely didn't make Willhaven. it was the the new metal kids that actually pushed us into the to actually letting us do what we do now which is kind of funny 
it's kind of the, the world's in reverse a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, at the time, because I, you know, I was a, you know, I've, I've been a dirtbag Hesher my whole life who grew up on like, you know, Iron Maiden and Megadeth and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so there's definitely like that, that war that you know that conflict between like true metal and new metal or, or whatever it was but i don't know i mean like you know Willhaven had connections to deftones and soulfly and you know now all these years later i think people people realize that deftones were always a lot smarter than some of the bands they got lumped in with do you know what i mean like that so that wasn't like a like a bad group of people to be associated with oh yeah yeah i mean but in terms of the new metal thing like you know, Will Haven used to write songs in like six, eight time, you know, like that's, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and, and I guess you got, you guys still do. And so that's, you know, it, you guys weren't like a rap metal, you know, jump up and down kind of band. Well, it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned this because I was doing that. I was thinking that the other day because my girlfriend was asking about time signatures and I was teaching about six, eight, four, four. So yeah, Will Haven's always been kind of the six, eight. It's just my things. I feel it adds a more of a groove to the song. And and then we started going through bands. And I was like, whoa! Actually, every Deftones song is six eight. <laughs> and that's probably why, like the Earth Crisis Kids, uh, couldn't get into because they didn't know how to do a circle pit in six eight. Exactly. Yeah, they were four four <laughs> all the way. <laughs> <laughs> so so, what was the connection with Revelation? Was it because you guys were were straight edge? How did they get involved? Well, we when we started. Willhaven, our friend of ours named Troy Davis was actually managing FAR at the time. We just became really good friends with Troy and he was managing FAR and then he became manager of Earth Crisis and and stuff like that. So he was in the scene and he was a really good friend of ours. So he's actually the one that got us into the the showcase theater in Corona and, uh, you know, whiskey in LA and stuff. And there was one show we played, I think we played with Strife or somebody like that. And Rob, who used to be in the band Unbroken, got a job at Revelation, and he was at that show. And I think he knew Troy a little bit too. And he went up to Troy because he knew Troy was from Sacramento or worked with Sacramento bands. And he's like, "Do you know this band Willhaven?" And Troy's, like, "Oh yeah, I'm managing them." And Rob's, like, "I think I want to sign them because at that time, Revelation had started Crisis Records, which was a subsidiary of, of Revelation. It was going to be more of a post-hardcore label. It was actually started by Walter from Quicksand, but..." So that was kind of their new deal. They were trying to find bands for Crisis Records. So Troy called me one day at home. He's like, hey, uh, not to surprise you, but Revelation might give you a call here and and talk to you. I'm like, whoa, I was just taken back because, you know, I grew up on Victory and Revelation bands, you know. So just to be mentioned in the with the Revelation star, I'm like, oh, that's cool, you know. And sure enough, Rob called me and said, hey, we're really interested in signing you guys. And, it's, and I, we were putting out an EP at the time, our first seven-song EP. And Revelation's like, we like to distribute it for you. You know, we'll put the Re- Re- Revelation star on there if you guys want to sign to us. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. So, yeah, it was, it was you know, it's independent labels. There's, there's no glitz and glamour behind it. But it was an honor for me to be on Revelation just because of the history of it, you know, with Inside Out and Gorilla Biscuits, Youth of Today. It's like to be part of that family, it just means a lot. And especially because we were such a different band than a lot of the bands on that label. I thought it was really cool of Jordan to do. And Jordan Cooper's awesome. You know, I still talk to Jordan quite a bit once in a while. And, you know, he's super cool and he's always had our back. So I'm really proud to like be a part of that family for sure. Yeah. But I, I think it, you know, having you guys, I mean, Crisis definitely had like a different vibe than what people would normally associate with, you know, the youth crew revelation sound. But 
I think, you know, you guys being on that label was kind of a, a left field choice. And I think it threw off a lot of kids. Like, you know, I, I can say that when when I first heard Will Haven, it was a uh, someone I knew who I was trading tapes with. And it was, you know, 90 minutes of, of hardcore bands and then Will Haven at the end. And I think, <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, he got Will Haven thinking it was going to be like another revelation type band. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, whoa, who are these dudes? And he didn't really know much about you guys either. And, you know, just through, and it wasn't long uh, after that, that WHVN came out and, you know, there was the Max Cavalera connection. There was the, the Deftones con connection. And you guys started mm -hmm. popping up in like Metal Maniacs and Terrorizer and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But at the time it was, you know, Will Haven seemed like a, a really strange choice to be on a label started by Ray Capo. Yeah, I, I, I agree. But that's what I loved about it. It's like we were the standout. We were kind of like the stepchild of all of the other bands, you know. And yeah, it was definitely a strange thing, especially for me, because I knew the bands on Revelation. I thought we were probably more of a victory type band. But but I mean, maybe they were looking for something heavier at the time because, you know, they they had that run of like Chain of Strength and Music Today. And, and Inside Out was probably like, what the heaviest band they had for a while. So maybe they were looking for something new and fresh and heavy. I and mean, we just kind of be the right place at the right time. But yeah, it was cool. I, it's it definitely made us more in the hardcore scene. Made us more loved, you know. Because like, oh, this band's on Rev. That's cool. You know, they could have signed a, you know, well, Roadrunner at the time, you know. But we kind of stuck with the independent hardcore label, which was kind of like a cool thing. And I mean, we got to play Gilman Street and in, in, at Berkeley, so they let us in there for being on Revelation. So there was perks to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah.
spoke a little bit about how you guys uh, started off jamming together. How has your, your songwriting process changed over the years? Do you guys still write as a band? Uh, yeah, yeah, somewhat. I, mean, I write most of it at home. I have like a little studio in my, in my house that I just jam on, write riffs and then arrange riffs. And then I, get, I give the guys a basic idea of the song, pretty much almost done in a way. And then I give it to them and then we show up to practice and then we just run through every part and we just try to figure out what we like, what we don't like, rearrange it. And so it starts out with me creating a song and then I'll take it to practice and then we'll just tear, tear it apart, you know, and just kind of rearrange it or rework it in a way. So it's very organic still. We don't send files to each other. We don't, you know, we don't go into the studio and write at the studio. Like it's everything's organic. And when we go to write a record a new record, the songs are pretty much already done. You know, we've already practiced them a million times. We've already know what we're gonna do it's by the time we get to the studio. So yeah, it's still very organic. You know, like we're we were born in the seventies, so we're not the Pro Tools crowd. You know, like yeah, yeah. we were older when Pro Tools came out, so we're still like. We like to do the organic way, just practice as a band, record on our phones, you know, for ideas, or whatever. So, yeah, it's 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 the only way to do it, you know, for sure. So, when the rest of the band hear your ideas, are they mostly just hearing? Is it mostly just like guitar demos? Yeah, I do have an electronic drum kit. I, you know, I still play drums, so I, I I'll put drums on it just to kind of fill it out, so they kind of understand where the timing's coming from or what I'm thinking, you know, structure wise. But sometimes I'll give them just a whole guitar song and, and then, you know, when I get to practice, I'll show them, right, this is what I'm thinking for the drums or the beat or whatever. So it's, it's a wide, wide variety of ideas I give them to them. Some completed, some not, you know, just kind of whatever. I, I try to get to them quickly so I don't forget it myself. And then when they get to practice, they already have an idea of, like, they've already heard this riff before. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes we're getting older. Sometimes we forget, like, I don't remember what I did there. Actually... <laughs> We, we're writing a new song now and we recorded on the phone and I took it home and I listened to it and I was like, oh my God, I left out like three parts. I totally forgot three parts that I'd written before that we didn't work on. So it's, I got to, yeah, it's, I got to send it to them just so they, they remind me of like what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> and does it always start with a riff for you? No, I'll sit at home and I'll, I will either play metal riffs or I will play the most beautiful, like, you know, atmospheric stuff on my effects pedals and just trying to make something beautiful. And then whatever strikes me, then I'll just build off that. So it could build off a heavy riff or it could build off some kind of melodic thing that I made on my, on my effects pedals or whatever. And then I'll make a riff to complement that. So yeah, it's whatever just strikes me, whether it's like if it's soft ambient or if it's metal riff, I, it just kind of goes either way. Now, is that balance important for you? Finding, finding the right balance between you know, the heavier side of Willhaven and, and the atmospheric, uh, as you described it, the, the beautiful side? Yeah, I, I can't. It seems like I cannot write a heavy song without throwing something beautiful in there. I just not. I, I just need, like I said, this band is more about feeling than it is just songs per se. Like I want to have some kind of depth to our music. You know, I don't want it to just be like a, I can't even, I don't, I don't even know what band to think of, but you know, I just don't want it to be straightforward. Like, I don't want to be a, a band you put on if you're like, oh, I want to be, be happy today. You know, it's like I've always envisioned having to be kind of a depressing, just moody, just like gut wrenching. If, you know, just, you know, you, the world's coming to an end kind of, you know, because generally I'm a happy person. And most of the guys in the band are really happy per people. So 
to have that yin and yang, you need something dark and, and dreary and scary and to re- unleash, you know? So Wilhaven is our release. It's our, it's our deep, darkest, darkest fears and our deepest fears and stuff we hate about the world and stuff we don't like about ourselves. And it just, it just is really like the world is ending kind of vibe that we put out into our music, you know? And that's always been important for me because I, I'm a happy person, but I also have that depressing feeling that I kind of drawn to sometimes too. And it's just the balance of the world, you know, it's like, I can't be happy and go write happy songs. I got to have some kind of balance in my life. And, and I need the music to be that way too. I need the music to be really dark and brutal, but I need something pretty to like make it balance it out. So that's just always something I've always been into, you know, bands like Pink Floyd do it really well. You know, Radiohead kind of does it, you know, in their older records. So just something I've always been drawn to. I need the, the salt and the sweet kind of thing, you know? <laughs> right on. Does Grady have carte blanche as far as the lyrics go? Or do you guys kind of flesh out ideas and themes uh, as a band? Not until the last... Uh, there's a couple records he's had a couple people help him. But I would say 99% of the lyrics are all his. He's He just gets stuck sometimes. I mean, he is so creative at writing just like anybody, even like for musicians, you get like a, a block writing. I get, sometimes I get stuck not being able to write a riff. And so when, he, but his lyrics are really meaningful to him. He can't write about a girl washing a car. Like it has to be, it has to be like, it has, he has to feel it. And it has to be something in his life that's going on that he has to get out, you know? And sometimes it's more of just people not writing lyrics for him. It's just more of a push, like giving him a subject or giving him something to like think about. And we did have Adrian on this record throw up uh, some lyrics together for a song and his girlfriend helped him a little bit on a couple parts, but 99% it's just all Grady. It's just him. What's funny about Grady, he doesn't write to the song. He writes poetry. And then he basically tries to mold that into our songs. So, so it's basically just a stream of consciousness that he writes, you know, he writes lines down and he feeds out and he keeps writing lines and making a story out of it. So when we do go to write, record the record, he already has it, and he has to just fit it to mold it to the song, basically. I mean, if if Grady wrote a song about a girl washing a car, uh, the girl probably has cancer, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's <laughs> yeah, she's gonna get run hit by a train or something. Yeah. <laughs> so at the time we're having this conversation, Will Haven is about to drop seven on July seventh mm-hmm. through Minus Head Records, and so I have to point out July seven. The album is called Seven, so that's seven, seven, seven. You got to add the twenty twenty three though. Oh, that's right. I didn't even notice that. Oh, <laughs> oh very cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's start with that. Is numerology something that interests you, or did it just kind of like like work out that this was your seventh album and it was twenty twenty three? Both. I've always been. I wouldn't say really into numerology, but I have looked into it. Now there's a number in my life it always pops up and i see it everywhere and it's always been a constant number in my life and i and i read that it was it's an angel sending messages to me all good vibes you know it took me a long time to like research that out so numbers do mean something to me when i look at it i can see a meaning behind it and it just the universe sends you sends you these messages through numbers i believe i believe but the record was just a ba- basic happenstance we started writing in 2019 
hoping to get something out 2020. And then of course, you know, the world's and it came to an end. And then we just kind of, during that time, we just kept writing music and working on music and, and just kind of taking our time because we knew nothing was going to be open. We can't go tour. We can't do shows. So let's just take our time and just have fun with the record. And, and then finally, once, you know, everything kind of opened back up and we're like, okay, now we can finish the record. And we knew it was going to come out in 2023. And then I, from the beginning, I kind of had this feeling of wanting it to call it seven. I don't know why. I just had this gut feeling like seven sounds cool to me. It's a cool number. It Seven is a good number, but it's also a very bad number. So you can look at it either way, which fits our music. It's, you know, it could be good, but it could be evil. And so I always like that. And it's our seventh record. So I, I just felt that needed to be called it seven. And I, I think the first connection I made was like, oh, wow, 2023 is equal seven. So that's kind of cool. And then we finally got the record finished. We got it mastered. And then I was talking to the people at Minus Ed. And we were trying to figure out when to drop singles. And we were trying to like do every other four weeks, six weeks, whatever. So we were picking our dates of the singles. And he's like, when, when did you want the record to come out? And I'm like, I don't know. That's a great question. Maybe, you know, fall, summer, I, I don't know. And then all of a sudden it just popped in my head. I'm like, wait a minute. When is seven? When's July 7th? And Ray Reka from our label is like, that's a Friday. And I was like, that works. And he's like, yeah, that's going to be cool. Like seven, seven, seven. And I was like, yeah, and the year's seven. <laughs> so it just, one of those things that just happened. We didn't plan on it. It just happened. It was just, it was kind of presented to me on a platter, you know, oh, here you go. Seven, seven. And it's like, oh, and the, the funny thing is like, like, well, we need to play a show on seven, seven. So I called up my friend who was a promoter in Sacramento and, I was like, do you have anything open on 770? He's like, actually, I had a band just cancel on me. If you guys want to take that slot, I was like, yep, let's do it. So it was just, you know, the universe just lined up everything perfectly for us when we didn't even really plan it. So that's great. Yeah. To me, Will Haven's always been pretty consistent musically, uh, even as you guys experiment with different things and try, you know, branch out into different genres. For you, did you want to did you go into this album wanting to do anything different or try anything new yeah i think every record i do last record morte i wanted to kind of implement a little more will haven old will haven stuff because i think board dyer was just kind of it's just its own thing you know that was a record i just really experimented on just had fun with but morte i try to go back to more of the older roots but still keep it fresh and new and then this one i definitely had a, an idea of like making a heavy record but just throw some curveballs in there every once in a while, but keep, keep the vibe going, but take some twists and turns that you wouldn't normally expect from Willhaven or, you know, something you would think a heavy part would come up and it wouldn't be heavy. It'd be a quiet part. So yeah, I think we were just trying to push forward and try to create something new and, and just kind of balance a little more than just kind of in your face for the half an hour. So I, I think we accomplished that. You know, I think we threw some curveballs in there, and I don't think people didn't expect some things. But it's still heavy enough to where it's you can call it a heavy ass record. But it definitely throws some cool little changes in there that you probably wouldn't expect. It, it keeps you listening, though. It keeps you interested in the in the band, and and uh, it, you kind of want to go on to the next song. Like, oh, what's the next song going to be like? You know, instead of just going, all right, I heard one song, I heard it all. This record you can listen to a bunch of different times and not get tired of it, which is kind of was what we were going for. I've seen this album uh, compared to El Diablo and in some ways return to El, Di El Diablo. Do you agree with that characterization? I do in a way because I, it seems to me this record has 
if you take El Diablo, WHVN, and Carpe Diem, I think that's exactly what this record would be. I feel everything in those three records in this record. So it just, it's, it's definitely, this record encapsulates our whole career in a way. You know, this is our sound. This is what we've kind of built over the years. So it's not, it's not a total left field, you know, release. It's something that people in Wilhaven fans will totally get because there's a reference to kind of everything we've done over the years. So yeah, when people say that, I I totally, you know, it's not it's not the straight six, eight time signature that El Diablo was, but it's like right in your face. This one's kind of just more all over the place. But I do hear songs that remind me of El Diablo. I do hear a lot of songs that remind me of Carpe Diem, some WHVN stuff in there. So yeah, it's 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 a mesh of everything, which is kind of cool. You know, I don't think we expected that, but that's how it turned out. We didn't really talk about this. Um when we spoke about your songwriting process, but how important is groove to you? Oh, it has number one for me. I think mostly, you know, we try to write for the record, but we also try to write for live performing it live too. And you want to see the crowd engaged in your music and you want to see them banging in their head. You want to see them just re- like getting that release out, you know, because connection at a show is really important. And we've always had a really good connection with fans at our shows. Like when people go to Will Avon's show, you're there to like, get your shit out. You know, you're not there to just watch a band because we're not the most talented band. You know, we're not doing solos. We're not doing drum, crazy drum fills. Like we're there just to like blow you over and just, you know, you you have the worst day ever. You want to go see Will Haven, just get that anger out just like feel it. You know, we want you to come in there and just leave going like, Oh, I feel much better than after just seeing that, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, we, we write to have a connection with the fans live as well as, as the record. So groove is like the one thing you need to have that, connection with fans because that's the only fan like you can have solo all day but somebody's not going to understand what that is you know because they don't they can't play guitar like that but if you give them a heavy riff or you just nod their head they they understand that they get that you know and then they, they could feel it in their body
so where did you guys end up recording Seven? At a studio here in Sacramento called Puss Cavern. It is run by Joe Johnson, who's a really good friend of ours. He's done bands like Cake and some Deftone stuff. And yeah, he's kind of a staple here in Sacramento, which it's convenient because his studio is probably about 15 minutes from my house. So it's I just pop in. We do night sessions there. I'd go there at night and we'd work on the record and try ideas. And so I was in there quite a bit during the last three years, uh, just working with Joe. It's fun. He's he's a he's more of an engineer than a producer. Um, he lets me kind of produce, and he just kind of just pushes the buttons. <laughs> he makes it sound good. I give him the ideas, and he makes it sound good. So it's really a pleasure experience, you know, working with him. He's just a total humble, quiet, just awesome dude. You know, we talk for hours, and we'll work on some ideas and talk for hours again. So yeah, it's it's it makes makes records fun working with him. And Joe also worked on Muerte, right? Yeah, Joe's done Muerte, he's done this record, and he did our EP, Open the Mind and Discomfort. That's the first time we worked with him. So we've done the last three projects with him. And other than the qualities that you, you described, what do you like about working with Joe in terms of what he brings to your sound? I think Joe is, is still learning our sound in a way because we always bring something different to him. You know, Joe, if you hear some of like the cake records, he's, he's a very... It sounds really good and crystal clear. And Wilhaven is a is a mess of a wall of sound. So I think <laughs> it's challenging for him because especially for me, because you know, I'm so picky about stuff. With open mind discomfort, you know, I just wanted this big like wall of I didn't even want it to sound like a tar. I just wanted it to sound like this big humming noise. And he did it, you know. A lot of people didn't understand what we were going for. They said it's like sound like just a mess, but that was kind of what we were going for. And that's what I love about Joe is like, he doesn't mind experimenting and stuff, even though you might think, oh, that, I don't know if this sounds good, but I'll do it, you know? Because he knows for me and, and talking to me, he knows I'm trying to push the boundaries a little bit and try something different. So he's willing to work with me. I don't think he goes about it the way he would go about it. So he it's challenging for him. But like I said, he's cool with anything I try. And you know, unfortunately, some of these night sessions we go in, it would be it'd get really late and we get tired. And I think there's some things we miss, unfortunately. But but I like that. I, I like that it's it's very organic. You know, we didn't try to polish anything up. We didn't try plugins. We didn't try to like really screw with stuff. We wanted to be kind of raw and not be overproduced and kind of sound like we're playing live and and just keep it real. You know, and so Joe's been fun to work with a lot because he lets me get away with some crazy ideas and a lot of it doesn't work we have to go back you know but at least we try you know and that's kind of what makes it fun we we spoke about finding the balance in your writing between the heavy side of Wilhaven and the atmospheric side when it comes to the actual recording and mixing is it tricky uh, navigating those two sides and making it sound coherent yeah it's it's tough I mean especially the frequencies that we're running as you become more and more aware of studio stuff, like I didn't, I'm still learning stuff about studio frequencies and what you can and can't do. And, and so if I tell Joe to do something, it's probably my fault because I don't understand like how things fit on a record. And like this new record, we're tuned to G sharp, which is basically fucking kills everything. You know, that's such a low frequency. It's hard to like get really crystal clear sounds and, and balance everything out and the drums get screwed when it's that low of a frequency too so you don't get the pop that you normally do we were tuned to e or 
something like that. So it's, it's challenging for sure. I and mean, trying to fit everything in there in such low frequencies and, you know, even the bass is so low, it's hard to hear the bass sometimes. So, I mean, it's probably stupid that we write in that, that tuning. It's not the smartest thing, but <laughs> those songs, that's what it, that's what it needed. Because if I, if I played those, those riffs in E, it would sound not that evil. <laughs> it would sound, yeah. you know, it would sound maybe like Sepultura, early Sepultura or something like that. So it's not, that's not what we were going for. We wanted, we wanted a vibe. So the tuning is, it definitely adds to a vibe, but it makes recording hard, you know, it does. Um, but I'm learning, you know, I think there's, I'm figuring out ways to, to ma- manipulate things and, and even change my tone a little bit on my guitar will help in the future. So I'm learning, but it is, it's a, it's a pet. It's a pain in the ass, especially when you're tuned that low. I mean, was, was getting that evil sound the main reason you tuned to G-sharp? Yeah, like I said, those riffs, I've, I tried, when I wrote those riffs, I tried in different tunings, and it just didn't have the same impact that I did when I was tuned to G-sharp. They may have worked in B, but it just didn't, it seemed too happy. If it seems happy, I'm out. Like, I'm like, nope, nope, that's not going to work. So the, the darker, the better for me, and it just seemed like those riffs in that tuning were the best. I definitely don't want to stay in G sharp for our whole career. I definitely want to go back to a different tuning, but for this record, it it worked, you know? So I just got to figure out how to make evil riffs in a different tuning, you know? Now, how does that work when you guys play live? Oh, it it sucks. Do you have to go back and forth between? Yeah, it sucks. I have about, (laughs) luckily, I was smart about it to where a couple of the records like Morte and even Vordire, I only tune the top string down. So, if I'm in B, if I play B, like Carboniums in B, but if I go to a Vordire song, all I do is do the top string and just to match the second string. So I don't really have to change guitar, I just change the top string tuning, which is nice. So I don't have to go through another guitar, but I do have about four guitars that I have to switch through the, through the set, which I, I'm, I wish I would have stayed in one tuning my whole life, but you know, it adds to the, to the different sounds of this, of the band and, and live too. It's like, you know, you can, when you hear a, a song in G sharp, it's way thicker sounding than a song in, in say D, like El Diablo or whatever. So it's cool. You know, I probably will stop now. I'm not going to do any more crazy tunings. I'll just keep the ones I got and just work off that. <laughs> <laughs> and achieving this this wall of sound, I mean, are you are you just throwing like multiple guitar tracks until you get like this super dense sound? We only do three. So I've always been a a guy that's really tried to make his guitar tone sound big live. So I get that down and then I go to the studio and then I just, you know, I put it down. And then if I need, we usually do three just to make it sound big, but yeah, I'm pretty, pretty, I say anal about my guitar tone on this record though. I changed, I think three different amps over the course of recording this record. I started out with one, I one amp and I, switched to another one and now I'm on a whole different setup and I recorded a couple songs on my new setup. So that, that my guitar tone, it's huge. It sounds big. It's I'm still working on it though. So I didn't, I'm not, I don't have my perfect tone down yet, but, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's not, you know, we don't record 10 or 11 tracks. It's, it's maybe two or three at the most. And that's, that's it. Okay. Two or three per channel. So two or two and three on the left side, two or three on the right side or, like we'll do uh, right, channel, right channel yeah center so we'll left right center okay i see yeah wow do you want to say anything about the the guests that you have on this album yeah so we just had one reka 
Osborne, who sings in my other side project, Ghost Ride. He's been a friend of mine forever. He was in a band called Ten Fed from Sacramento, and now he's in a band called Death Valley High. We do Ghost Ride together on the side, and then Reka also works at Minus Head. So, <laughs> like Ray's been a part of my life forever. You know, um, he's one of my hero, musical heroes. He's just an innovator. He's awesome, and I had this idea for a melody at that on that part, but I I couldn't come up with something, and I didn't want to really ruin the song. And so I asked Ray, who sings in those bands, I was like, you know, Ray, could you come up with a melody for this part? And it was mostly going to be for just kind of interwoven within Grady and just kind of be in the background. But when I heard his vocals, I was like, you know what, let's just push forward because people wouldn't expect to have a singing on that part, you know, especially with Will Haven. So I was like, let's just do something different. Just put Ray in the forefront and Grady kind of in the background. And we went with it. And he was the only person that I, I actually asked. I had another friend of mine that I was going to ask, but scheduling didn't work out. But we try not to have too many guest people you know, it's kind of played out over the years. And <laughs> I, if it's, it's something that I really want to, like Stefan played on our last record, but that's just because he's my, my family and I wanted him to always be somehow part of the band, you know? So it was awesome being able to do something with Stefan. I've always tried to get Chino on something, but he's always been busy and that hasn't worked out yet. So, I, you know, people that are really important to me that I want to work with, that I've grown up with, I've, I've asked him to kind of be on stuff, but I wouldn't go like, hey, uh, you know, somebody from... Papa Roach, will you come sing on my song? Like, no, that's, I'm not going to do that. And these are people that I love that are like super close to me that, you know, are big parts of my life. Now, Mike from Yob, who sang on the last record, that was, I wrote that riff and I was like, I need Mike to sing on this. So I reached out to Mike and, you know, I've known Mike for a long time. I love Mike. So he was totally cool with it. And he's like, yeah, I'd love to do it. So that's the only person that hasn't been in my immediate family that I haven't had guests on my, on my record. But yeah, I try to keep the guests to a minimum. You mentioned the the release show that you guys are doing. Mm -hmm. I guess tomorrow night for you, maybe. Yep. When people hear this podcast, it'll be uh, uh, in the past. But you also have some tour dates coming up. Do you want to say anything about your tour? Yeah, I'm excited about this tour. You know, we were we were booked for Crucial Fest, which is a festival in Salt Lake City, and it's it's cool. Like it's kind of like a metal underground kind of festival and. We got booked on it, and then I was like, well, if we're going to drive all the way to Salt Lake City from Sacramento, let's book some dates in between. So I made this whole kind of routing around that festival, the West Coast tour routing. And and while I was booking it, I told the guys, like, hey, let's, I'm booking these dates. And then our bass player, Adrian, said, well, I'm going to be at Burning Man that week. So <laughs> I was like, well, that's not going to work. So I was like, okay, well, let me call Mike, who's Will Haven's original bass player, played on every record up until Bore Dyer. And I called Mike up and I said, Hey, Mike, like Adrian's out. We want to do this West Coast tour. Are you available? And he's like, Yeah, I'll do it. So, and then, so I had this just thought in my head. I'm like, Okay, well, we have Mike back in the band. This is the original band that, that wrote and recorded Carpe Diem. And we were getting that, we were people asking us to do like El Diablo reunion shows or Carpe Diem reunion shows, you know? So I was like, Well, let's just make it a Carpe, Carpe Diem anniversary tour since Mike's back in the band. It would make sense. You know, Mike played on the record. Mike was our bass player. So this is the original lineup of Carpe Diem. So I announced to the promoters, like, well, let's we're going to make this a Carpe Diem reunion tour or a you know anniversary tour. And they were actually way more excited about having that possibility. So I was able to book the dates really quickly and we start promoting it. And people seem to be stoked on it and tickets are selling well. So it's just going to be a fun thing to go out there with Mike again and play those 
songs off Carpe Diem front to back. I mean, it's a great record. And we play the most of the songs anyway when we play live, so it's nothing like challenging for us. And we did it in London last year, just a one-off show, and it was awesome. The crowd went crazy, and you know, people still talk about it. So hopefully these West Coast dates will be just as good as that. And yeah, I'm excited. It'll be fun. Have fun, Mike. Being next to me again, it's going to be awesome, you know, and just, you know, get out there and doing it again like, like we always done. Very cool. Yeah. So by the time people hear this podcast, Seven will be out through Minus Head Records. Jeff, mm-hmm. please tell people how they can order the album. What's the best way to get it? You know, Bandcamp, I know we're selling through Bandcamp, Willhaven. I don't know the exact link, but if you go to Bandcamp, just type in Willhaven. There will be, you can order it from there. Minus Head Records, I believe, I don't, I don't know if they get exclusively Bandcamp or not, or if you can order it through them. Those are the two places I know. I think it's, it should be in any record store you go into. For the people in Europe, Sludge Lord, Sludge Lord Records is distributing our final CDs, and they actually make cassette tapes, which are fucking awesome. I saw a couple of them. They look amazing. We haven't had cassette tapes since El Diablo, so I'm stoked on that. And they're based out of UK, so people that don't want to pay for the shipping and Bandcamp that are overseas go to Sludge Lord Records, and they, they will take care of them for you without having to pay all the crazy shipping fees. And yeah, of course, all streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple, all that, it'll be on there as well. So if you can, if you want to hear it, you can find it. It's out there. And there's a, a limited edition vinyl version as well, right? I don't know how many they're going to press. I know Sludge Lord ordered a bunch, but they already sold out of them. They're out. So I think they may order some more, I would hope. I'm not sure what the initial pressing was. And then I think when we sell out, then we'll, we'll press more. So we'll just kind of figure out how fast these go. But yeah, I, I think we'll probably keep pressing them as long as people want them. But to let people know, it takes a long time to get vinyl press these days. So it may be a little wait. So you might want to jump on it now before they do sell out. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it'd be cool to do some kind of limited pressing, you know, down maybe down the road with a different color vinyl or maybe something special with that record. But, you know, like the vinyl plants are just so crazy backed up right now because COVID set them back so far. So we're lucky to get these records now before our show. So, but yeah, we'll see down the road, see what we can make some kind of cool special limited edition for people that really want a collector's item. Very cool. And if people want to follow Will Haven online, what's the best way to do that? You know, we're not too social savvy, but we do have uh, Facebook. Will Haven 43 is our Facebook page. Will Haven Band, our Instagram. Our Instagram seems to get the most traffic. So Instagram, Will Haven Band, Instagram. We do have Twitter, which is also Will Haven Band. I think that's about it. That's pretty much all we do for social. And then you can always go to Minus Head Records. They're always posting cool stuff. Always got posting stuff about Will Haven as well. Yeah, and you can write to us, say hi, or DM us. Uh, we usually answer all our DMs on Instagram and Facebook. And you know, if you want to reach out, say hi. Got want to book a show? Want to you know tell us how horrible we are it's all good (laughs) is there anything else you want to say just thanks everybody you know this has been a long journey for us it's been with almost 30 years we've been in this game and i feel like we're still trying to break that mold of like becoming a a a known band so you know i the people that have always been our had our back and had this cult following with us you know i i I love every single one of them you know it's given us a reason to create music and go play and have fun and enjoy our creating music. And so the cult following we have, I, I love every single person that's, you know, had our back and, and supported us. And hopefully we made you proud with seven, you know, and we'll keep writing and creating music if you want it. You know, we, we're here to 
move you. You know, we're here to move people and, and give them inspiration and you know, make their day a better one and, or, you know, get the demons out, you know, either way, but just thanks everybody, you know, and thank you for taking the time to talk to me and, and help get the Willhaven word out and knowing the band. And I really appreciate it. Thanks Jeff. Yeah. Thank you.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.